the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the blast from our past podcast. We're the podcast. I'm sorry, I'm going really slow here because I think this is going to be a short episode. I'm trying to elongate it out, okay? (laughs) (laughs) We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more. All for the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I think this is going to be a short episode because our casting is short, our movie is short, the TV show might be longer than the movie talk. We'll see. <laughs> we are we are discussing Ricky Ticky Tavi. Uh, so I, I will say we weren't we didn't remember. We remembered that we had seen this from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We didn't remember how long it was. <laughs> and then we saw, oh, this is 24 minutes. <laughs> and it's listed as a TV movie. Yeah. So we're like that. I mean, hey, it still counts. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we can pad some stuff out. But if not, it's a shorter episode. Hey, you guys are wham bam and, and finished with us a little bit earlier this time. So, <laughs> all right. Oh, so all right. Besides that, we're going to talk the uh, the Bullwinkle show uh, from back in the day. And we are also going to do a recasting or not a recasting, but a casting of Green Arrow Year One. So this is a comic book, one of our kind of on the side castings. Uh, it doesn't really connect to anything else, uh, but we'll talk about that more when we get into that portion. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Ricky Tiki Tavi TV movie came out in 1975. John, what else happened that wonderful year? So the film was released on January 9th, 1975. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by Elton John. I would say because the Beatles were done by then. Yes. Uh, so, okay. So he did a cover of it. All yes. Right. So I also got excited. I saw the title and I was like, oh, it's Elton John's version, which honestly, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. All right. Well, we'll, when we cut it in, we'll see how it sounds. Yep. Uh, Topping the Nielsen ratings really should be no surprise if you know anything about 70s TV. It was all in the family. Okay, sure. And for video games uh, in February, so about a month after this, a company called Horror Games uh, published its own game called, or sorry, its only game called Shark Jaws. Yes, it was supposed to be a play on Steven Spielberg's Jaws, Jaws. but it was just an it was an arcade game. Okay, Shark Jaws. It sounds terrible. It does sound terrible, and it was their only game, which tells me it probably was really bad. Mm-hmm. The New York Times bestseller was a book called Centennial by James Michener, who is an, an author we've talked about a few times. I think okay. he was the one who did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Okay, that wasn't John LeCar who did that. Oh, one you're right. Either. That is it. What is James Michener? I know we've mentioned him before, too. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I could Google it. We live in an age where it really would take uh, me long, but I'm not. Uh... I am Googling it, and I don't recognize any of his. Okay, I've recognized. But he won a Pulitzer Prize in 1948, so good for you, James okay. Michener. I recognize James Michener, so he's definitely a name that has come up before. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, and, yeah, he's definitely got some popular stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, and my fun fact for 1975, even though he'd been uh, appearing on um, on the face of the product since 1954, 1975 is when the Kool-Aid Man began showing up in commercials. And that, oh, okay, cool. So Aid. I'm assuming that's when we got we started getting the iconic, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Okay. That's good. Trivia. And that was 1975. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Uh, let's jump into Ricky Tiki Tavi. All right, Ricky Tiki Tavi, as we said, came out in 1975. Directed by the legendary Chuck Jones, uh, you, he was a, he wrote, produced, and directed so many classic animated cartoons for things like Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also did uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, so we probably brought up him there. Many things. Chuck Jones is a legend in animation. If you watched any kind of Looney Tunes, you recognize yeah. this name. You probably saw. This, I remember like seeing this name so many times, and not really knowing who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, or why he was important, but absolutely legend. Didn't we talk about him in Gremlins? Didn't he show up in he, Gremlins? Yeah, he, there was like he, I remember he, he had a cameo. He had a cameo in, one of the in there. Yeah, but yeah, as you mentioned, there's probably no bigger name as far as direction and maybe even writing in animation mm-hmm. as Chuck Jones. Yep, yep, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so the story, Ricky Tiki Taffy, was uh, written by Rudyard Kipling, uh, and it was published in the, eight, in the 1894 anthology, The Jungle Book. So it was mm-hmm. part of those stories. And there actually was another animated version of Ricky Tiki Taffy that came out in 1965. It was a Soviet, the Soviet Union. Uh, somebody in the, in the okay. Soviet Union put it out. So there is a, a different version, uh, which I saw is available on YouTube. Um, our Ricky Tiki Tavi version, the Chuck Jones version, is available on Tubi. Yes. So, pretty easy. And actually, it's so short, they didn't even have any commercial breaks <laughs> on it at all. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure mine did. I, I don't think mine did. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't remember. So, uh, let's talk the cast of Ricky Tiki Tavi. Uh, the narrator um, is Orson Welles, who we know from Citizen Kane, Touch of Evil, fantastic yes. film. And if <laughs> and oh, Go ahead. Rosebud frozen peas. That's exactly. I knew you were going to do that. Full of country goodness and green <laughs> penis. Wait, that's terrible. Just a handful for the road. Oh, oh, yes. They're even better raw. That's from the critic, everybody. Check that out. That's awesome. Uh, I can't think of Orson Welles without thinking <laughs> yeah. of the critic. Or which, or thank, or thanks to that same voice actor, which is L- Maurice Lamarche, uh, brain from picking yeah. the brain, because his brain Im- voice is basically just an imitation of Orson Welles. Yep, exactly. Uh, Nagaina, uh, the Cobra, uh, and a couple other voices is voiced by June Foray, and I didn't know we were going to have this connection. I didn't either, and I'm glad we did because she's a legendary person to talk about anyway. Absolutely, um, we have talked about her before. Uh, she was the grandmother in the vo- in uh, the movie Mulan. She was a granny in Looney Tunes, but she also did the voice of Rocky the Squirrel in uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff. So we'll be talking about June for foray again soon. Uh, the father was played by Les Tremaine. Uh, he's done voices on like different Scooby Doo shows. Uh, he was on the Shazam show from the seventies. Mm-hmm. He's been in King Kong vs Godzilla. He actually had ton of credits. Yeah, this guy. I looked him up when I when I saw his credit, and I was like, oh man, that that dude did some stuff. He did absolutely. 
Teddy, the kid, is played by Michael LeClaire. Not really much else I recognized. Uh, he had a few credits, though, mm-hmm. but nothing I knew. He was probably some executive's kid. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, just you needed a kid voice. Uh, then kind of the voices of Ricky Tiki Tavi, also Nag and Chachumbra, uh, the muskrat, was all voiced by Shepard Menken. Uh, he voiced Doctor Doom and Spider-Man and his amazing friends and also plenty of kind of classic cartoons I saw that he popped up on. So he had mm-hmm. quite a pretty solid career as well. Uh, and then the last one I want to mention, Darcy the Taylor Bird was voiced by Lenny Weinrib, uh, who we have talked about before. He actually voiced H.R. Puffin Stuff and voiced Scrappy Doo. Uh, the classic character from Scooby Doo franchise, and uh, did a pretty big voice in the in Smurfs as well. Oh, so. Okay. All right, so Ricky Tiki Tavi, this short animated feature, if you will, from uh, that was on TV. Why are we talking this little story about a mongoose, John? So I am about ninety percent positive this was a VHS cassette that they had at the Country Corner Daycare Center. And it was yep. one of the ones that they would put in if it was raining outside and we couldn't go outside to play because that was our typical one was they just shove us outside. I Because I remember it so well. I remembered the sounds. Like this whole mm. thing came flooding back as we watched it. That I'm, I'm, I'm very much positive that that's where we saw it. It was a, a regular rotation VHS movie that they had at the daycare center that we were uh, unceremoniously forced to go to. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a bad daycare. It was not a bad daycare. Uh, but yes, uh, and I I, I remembered Tiki Tavi a little bit, um, and I'll just go ahead and mention for me, it really, really clicked when I kind of started seeing the red glinty eyes. Yeah. That and the weird motion he makes when he's like hunting the snakes and are attacking the snakes, his front body- chittering thing. And he goes side to side yeah. on his back. It's really weird, but I'm like, oh- Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, all right. All right. So, let's get into uh, our breakdown here. And we are start off in an Indian farm home. And we meet this mongoose. Ricky, uh, this mongoose. And he's found near dead uh, by this family, uh, which is obviously, a, a, well, it's obviously like a British family living in England, I think. But they all have American accents. So, no, but they had British whatever. accents. Did they have British accents? I think so. I think it was like sort of posh English accents. Maybe. The kid, I thought I remember the kid sounding pretty American. Pretty American. But it, it doesn't really matter. No. <laughs> so. Colonialism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he uh, gets taken in by the family and particularly he takes to the, to the boy more than anything else. And they name him Ricky Ticky because like the sounds that he's making. Uh, Ricky explores the home. He's, you know, jetting around. I kind of also remember the way that he moved really quickly. Right. Uh, It's kind of nice animation on that. I like that. At one point, kind of humorously falling into the bathtub and he sleeps inside, you know, in the bed with the kid and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And the mom is at first very frightened of the mongoose. You know, he's a wild animal. We shouldn't keep him here. But the dad's like, no, he'll be he'll help protect the the home and protect the boy. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ricky explores the garden. He's excited for hunting. Uh, we meet Darcy the Taylor Bird and his wife, and we find out that you know one of their babies was eaten by Nag the Cobra, uh, who we then meet. And Ricky, who's at first scared, then kind of realizes, oh wait, mongooses are supposed to fight snakes. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know he's kind of getting excited. You see that little weird walk thing that I remember that we <laughs> talked about. He's kind of jumping and hissing and moving his backside side to side. 
We also meet Nagaina, his wife, the Cobra uh, wife, and he's Ricky knows he has to kind of take him on one by one. He can't do two at a time. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, trying to figure out, you know, how to protect everything. So later in the garden, Ricky Tiki fights this small brown snake, uh, protects the boy that way, which he's earning the trust of mm-hmm. the family because of that, particularly the mother. And that night he's wandering around the house and uh, we meet Chachumbra, a muskrat, who is just kind of a weird, scared little character who is like, you know, if you attack cobras, they might mistake me for you because we're somewhat similar. And he's getting scared. I mean, are they? So, really? Uh, he, he was a chunky muskrat. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, Ricky hears the sound of cobras and overhears that they are going to plot to kill the humans because they don't want the mongoose there anymore. And they think if they kill the humans, then the mongoose won't stay anymore. So Nag decides to w- wait in the bathroom so he can attack the father there. Uh, but Ricky ends up sneaking up on him and you get his red glinty eyes and he moves across the bathroom and then he jumps down from above strikes and we get some wrestling with Nag and he does kill Nag the Cobra. Well, the the father shoots him with a shotgun, doesn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, but he gets it. He kind of basically, you know, mostly Ricky kills him, him first for sure. Yeah, exactly. And then the father does shoot him with a, with a shotgun uh, in the morning. Uh, Ricky has to hunt for Nagaina uh, and knowing that she has eggs to be hatched because he wants to stop any more Cobras from invading the farm. Uh, Darcy sings the praises of Ricky. Who has delivered us? Who? Tell me his nest and his name. Ricky the valiant, the true. Tiki with eyeballs aflame. Get a nice little, he's super happy about how he's taken down Nagaina and all this kind what, of stuff. What a song, too, in the middle of this <laughs> short movie. Yeah, I kind of for, completely forgot about this song. So, my we I made everyone watch this film. Okay. I made, I made everyone watch this film. I was like, it's 24 minutes. Y'all can sit here even if you don't like it. <laughs> my son gut laughed twice in this film. Once when Ricky does the little cheering dance thing and he gut laughed because it was the most ridiculous looking thing he'd ever seen and then he gut laughed at this song because it was the most ridiculous sounding song he had ever heard not because he thought the song was funny but because it was it sound like it sounded ridiculous to him okay uh but ricky is really only focused on wanting to try to find nagaina right now um and so what he does is he plots with uh darcy's wife and has her pretend to be hurt to help draw out Nagaina, which it works. Mm-hmm. And so Nagaina goes after the fake hurt uh, bird, and Ricky uses that time to crush all but one <laughs> of the snake eggs. And you just sort of see in like him sh- on the shadows, basically he's jumping on the eggs. You're like, I'm like, damn, okay, that just, <laughs> that's just pretty rough. They're just babies. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but this is nature. Yep, exactly. damn nature, you scary. Nagaina, who was at first going after the bird, then sees the family, uh, the human family, and decides to go after them kind of as revenge for killing her husband. But Ricky brings this one last egg and calls to fight her uh, to get away from the humans. And so she, she, to protect her, you know, last egg, goes after Ricky and they fight, which ends up turning into a chase. Uh, It goes down into the cobra hole. And everybody assumes, oh, Ricky has died because a mongoose that goes into the hole 
it's it just rare that it's going to win. Yeah, I do. I I did appreciate the the constant narration, which I'm pretty sure is probably mostly taken from the book itself. Mm-hmm. So you're getting this additional information, and you know the fact that it's Orson Welles helps because he he yes. does have a good narration voice. I'm, I'm sure yeah. there. I'm trying to remember. I know there are other things that he's narrated pretty famously as well. Um, but it, yeah, he talks about when when it goes into the hole, you never know. Why Mongoose has never fallen into the hole because you never know when it's going to open up and give the cobra room to turn around and strike you. Fair enough. But then so, what do we see, Adam? Out comes Ricky. He's safe. He has killed Nagai. You know, we don't ever see it, but right. you know, we get told it. And so Darcy once again sings the song praising Ricky. Oh. And the narrator explains that uh, Ricky has keep, keep the garden safe and no cobras would then dare enter. After that. I hope he killed the egg, too, because he didn't mention uh, that. Yeah, I, you don't think? So? Yeah, he's that, or or maybe he raised the egg cobra uh, to be, you know, a nice cobra, but that's yeah. not usually a thing. So it's probably he probably he, he crushed it. <laughs> we can assume, and that's the end of our little movie here. <laughs> <laughs> Wham bam! So I'll give you some fun facts. So yeah. uh, Ricky Tiki was most likely an Indian gray mongoose. Okay, which oddly enough, uh, looking on here, it says its prey includes rodents so the muskrat wasn't safe snakes obviously <laughs> birds eggs and hatchlings so the bird hatchling would not have been any more safe with the mongoose as it was with the snake sure and then uh lizards and a car- occasionally along one particular river they've been known to take crocodile eggs so, okay so yeah so he's an indian gray mongoose which is weird because ricky tiki was not gray um, but i'm that sure i'm brown. sure for the purposes of animation it was probably better to have him brown than anything else but yeah, I mean, I mean, looking at them, they look like cute little animals. I mean, they're pretty fierce, yeah. but exactly, they're like like you know, mean, mean, mean ferret kind of things. Yeah. Um, have you ever read the Jungle Book or any of that? Those stories? No, never I, have. I haven't never either, have. and I've been I've been tempted to, and I think after mm-hmm. this, because I, I you know, th- I like the Jungle Book as far as the movie goes, but it's never been mm-hmm. one of my favorites, so I've never had a desire to. But if it, yeah. if there's a bunch of short stories, then maybe I'd be more inclined to give it a try. And, and you know, coming out older like that, it you know usually they're a little bit darker. And you know, we've only noticed to like the fluffy Disney versions. Right. They probably have a little bit more intensity to them. That is true. Um, in the book, so yeah. yeah, it might be worth a worth a shot reading it. Yep. So, uh, I'll start off since you kind of had. I'd be curious how you know your kids also liked this or disliked this, but it's a simple, short little tale. It's cute enough you know i can't say really it's that awesome and the animation doesn't hold up too much but it's not bad actually no you know i mean you know putting yourself into some time i mean i like the way they had him moving around the house and yeah they reuse a lot of his little dancing around thing too much i did notice a lot of reused animation like you you would notice the same thing like several times not and not just that one like several ones they would use agreed uh and so it just, I don't think this is something that kids nowadays would really care for. There's also, there's not really any depth to anything. You know, kids nowadays are smarter when it comes to storytelling. Right. You know, they want to see a character kind of go through a journey. Ricky never really does. Right. He just, he's just a mongoose that fights snakes. <laughs> and so it's just, there's not enough to it that I think will grasp kids of, of today. But mm-hmm. you know what? For nostalgia, you know, cute enough. But yeah, yeah, that's it. As far as 
I went. I was surprised at how much of this movie, uh, I guess I'll call it a movie, that I actually did remember from pretty much everything. Every everything that came up, I'm like, oh, I definitely remember all of this. I remember when I was a kid being creeped out by the Nag and Nagaina voices because they're basically whispering. Yeah, they're good for most of the time and very menacing yeah. sounding. I mean, the voice acting in here, as far as well, especially now knowing that like a lot of like. Ricky Tiki, the Muskrat, and Nog were all the same person. Mm-hmm. Is still very impressive. I mean, this is looking now with you know more adult eyes. This clearly was something that might have been like a passion project for Chuck Jones because um, he had a very small cast. I mean, thankfully, there's not a lot of characters, and he yeah. used. I think I'd heard one somewhere that like the industry standard rate that you get for a voice actor can get you up to three voices for that rate. So, which I think he used to affect, because I think both June Foray and uh-huh. uh, the actor who plays Ricky both all did three voices. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. So he probably, exactly right. he probably put most of his voice acting um, budget into Orson Welles. Yeah. I imagine <laughs> he probably required a pretty big fee. Um, and other than that, there's just not a lot. So it was not necessary. And with the kind of the reuse of animation, maybe this wasn't something that he had like a huge backing for. Clearly, it was just a TV movie and just a, mm-hmm. it might have just been a passion project. Maybe it was a book that he read when he was a kid and he really loved it and he finally got a chance to turn it into a movie. And you know what? I'm glad he did because it brings back a lot of nostalgia. Uh, I think I, I think I grew to hate watching this movie when I was a kid because they had showed it to us so many times, which they often uh-huh. did just repeating the same oh, yeah. things. Same. But, you know, that's that's not the fault of, of the movie. That's the fault of the daycare center not having a bigger selection of things to show a bunch of kids. But honestly, it was fun going back to revisit something that I honestly have not seen in probably 30 years. Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. 30 years. I really didn't get a sense that either of my kids liked it or disliked it. I think it was just kind of, eh, I got kind of a meh reaction. <laughs> sure. I think maybe my son got more out of it with the, the what he thought was funny uh, mm-hmm. than my daughter did, but I, I don't think they're going to be asking for this one anytime soon. All right, we are now moving on to the Bullwinkle Show. And John specifically told me, you have to watch the Bullwinkle Show. Well, that's because there, uh, <laughs> there's been several iterations and I didn't. I wanted yes. to make sure that we watched that one. That one, sure. So yeah, you're right. As you mentioned, there were several iterations. It actually uh, started off as Rocky and His Friends, which aired on NBC from 1959 to 1961. And then it moved to NBC, and that was known as the Bullwinkle Show. Okay, and 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 I agree that is the one I remember most because like the, even like the intro, which we'll talk about in outro, and like some of the little bits um, mm-hmm. were definitely things like okay, I remember it as this style. And then after the Bullwinkle Show, it went into reruns and syndication via reruns, and they renamed it to all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was had been called the Rocky Show, the Rocky and Bullwinkle Show, the Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, the Adventures of Bullwinkle and Rocky. <laughs> The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Friends. Uh, and then Nickelodeon had a stint called Bullwinkle's Moose-O-Rama. <laughs> I remember oh, that. Oh, God. That's, yeah. Uh, so, in total, the show had five seasons, 163 episodes. 
the cast, uh, Bullwinkle J. Moose, was played by Bill Scott. He also voiced George in George of the Jungle. He did voice in Gummy Bears, The Wuzzles. He also voiced uh, Mr. Peabody and voiced Dudley Do-Right. Uh, and Bullwinkle's name apparently came, I saw, I read from a car dealership in Berkeley, California, uh, that the creator Jay Ward saw, and it was called Bullwinkle Motors. And oh. He just kind of flipped some letters around, and he liked that name. Uh, as we had mentioned previously, uh, Rocket, a.k.a. Rocky, Jay Squirrel. Uh, also, Natasha uh, Fatal uh, was voiced by June Foray. Among other, you know, additional, every every voice person did additional stuff as right. well. But as we mentioned, June Foray uh, was in Ricky Tiki Tavi. Um, and between the two, uh, it's kind of, I felt like a classic comedy duo where one of them's kind of doofusy and the other one's kind of a little bit, little bit smarter. Right. Uh, Rocky was definitely the smarter of the two. Yeah, well, for sure. Bullwinkle's a bit doofy. Uh, the narrator for this show was William Conrad. He had done a bunch of old westerns he was also the narrator on the show the fugitive um and he had his own show called canon in the 70s uh, he looked familiar to me but uh all right uh boris badenov was voiced by paul freeze uh he has done voices in the 1977 hobbit movie um he was santa claus in the frosty cartoon mm. and he has also voiced squidly diddly if you remember that i think it was like a hannah barbera ca- uh, character if you looked it up you i bet you would re- remember squidly diddly uh, and then the last person I want to mention who also did some voices on the show was Dawes Butler. Uh, and he was the voice of Yogi Bear for a long time and Elroy Jetson and tons of stuff from Dawes Butler. And uh, Huckleberry Hound. Yeah, he just he is a great, great classic voice actor. So the show itself was structured uh, as kind of as a variety show, mm-hmm. kind of hosted by Bullwinkle and Rocky. And they'd have these little skits if you will or little serialized adventures um between the two of them and their main antagonists of course were boris and natasha Uh, they're kind of russian spies and they're both working for this you know the big bad fearless leader um and you know they would have just small little segments of silly little stuff they were very short segments so i i really only ended up watching one episode i did too uh, but they were yeah, a lot of little little ones. Um, then they would have some other segments that pop in, uh, including Dudley Do-Right, uh, and then Peabody's Improbable History, which is about Mr. Peabody and his boy Sherman traveling through time, which I think is a fun concept. It's Mr. Peabody is the very smart dog, uh, and then his pet boy Yeah, <laughs> that would go along And that them. spawned into a, a thing all its own. I mean, it spawned into yeah. an, at least one animated movie, maybe two. Uh, both of my kids, yeah. the most recent... I don't, I can't remember when it came out, but both of my kids watched that one. Yeah, I think it had like a like a CG version or something. That was yeah. the, the recent. They yeah, watched that one, and I think it had. I think they had their own cartoon at one point that was just Peabody and the Peabody so. and Sherman show or the Peabody and Sherman something like that. Yep, pretty sure. And then there was also fractured fairy tales, which were kind of retold comic fashion of classic fairy tales, among some other different types of skits. So, um, yeah, we mentioned. The uh, intro, I'll talk about that right now. And that intro is very, kind of, it's very, I don't know, classic variety style, mm-hmm. but I liked it. It kind of fit yeah. with the theme that they were doing. And uh, the show itself was created, so Bullwinkle uh, was created 
in part by Jay Ward and done by Jay Ward Productions, who also did George of the Jungle and uh, Super Chicken, which Super Chicken kind of looked like this Three Musketeer chicken. Oh, <laughs> that was what I can remember. I think I think I remembered him when I saw him. So I bet you would, too. There was uh, also for Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know, these these characters became pretty fucking popular. Oh, yeah. They had a 2000 feature film adaptation called The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, starring Rene Russo and Jason Alexander and Robert De Niro. And then the characters is kind of like these CG characters. Mm-hmm. I don't think it did very well. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember that it was a thing. Yeah, uh, but also the segment Dudley Do-Right had its own feature movie uh, in 1999 starring Brendan Fraser. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. It was after George of the Jungle. So obviously the people who is it's all these are all the same people who made them. They must have been like, oh, you know what? I like you in George of the Jungle. Let's uh, let's do the same thing with Dudley do which I don't think was as much of a success. Let's use this other property that we own that's not going to cost us anything. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, like the characters have moved beyond just these cartoons and probably because they were in syndication for so long that so many generations and you know decades of kids grew up watching their shows mm-hmm. that like you know it's kind of like like snoopy kind of a thing like you know you would see rocky or bullwinkle balloons down the macy's day parade like damn near every year because these characters you know or maybe they'd show up in commercials you know in advertisements just hawking something <laughs> you know just because the characters were always around um but i mean there's no storylines to talk about as already mentioned rocky is doof or sorry bullwinkle is doofusy and rocky is kind of the smart you know flying squirrel sidekick and they have to you know it's just it's little comedy bits and they were very short i'm gonna move i'm gonna move into my final thoughts unless you've got something else to bring up no that's that's pretty much you pretty much nailed it that's that's what it is I actually think the style of the show works well, how quick some of the... There was, like, very kind of quick, fast humor mm-hmm. on this. Um, whether it was, like, some of these interstitials, like the one I watched, which is probably one that you watched as well, there was, like, these interstitials whenever they came back from commercial where Bullwinkle would be like, hey, you want to see me pull a rabbit out of my hat? And he would pull out something that's not a rabbit. Oh, yeah. And that was, like, the entire joke the entire time. And they would be different things each time. Um, until he finally pulled out Rocky, and it was like, well, "That's close enough." Uh, and it was just, it was just kind of silly. But like all of the other skits that they brought up, or like the little segments, they were always pretty fast paced. I actually thought that the humor was good. What and the voice acting is solid. Where it lacks for kids today is the animation. Yeah, of course. The animation was just, it's just too old school, too slow frame rate. It, there's not enough there. But I think honestly, most of the other stuff which is the important stuff of the humor and other things, I think were pretty good, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. All right. Is that is that it? <laughs> I don't have much too, too much more to add to it because it was I watched yeah. through it, and it was what I remembered it was. It was an animated variety show. The characters are, are iconic at this point, so I really have nothing more to add because you've touched on everything I would have said anyway, so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no stretching that one out. All right. This is going to be our short one, guys. But you know what? But I hope you guys liked Rocky and Bullwinkle because I do think it's still actually pretty simple. Have your kids seen it at all? Did they watch it? Uh, they didn't watch this uh, this one with me, but I, they they know who the characters are. Sure. Because, yeah, even if they don't watch the, I mean, they, those cartoon characters have permeated just all of pop culture. So, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... The power is pumping and arrows in your hand. Now your heart is thumping, fire as quick as you can. Nerf bow and arrow. The enemy's coming, now they're in your sights. Nerf bow and arrow. It's nerf or nothing. All right, now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned, we are going to cast Green Arrow Year One. So that is a uh, a series, a specific series uh, done by uh, Andy Diggle and the artist named Jock, who uh, were the team behind the sh- the uh, comic The Losers. I don't know if you remember, oh, okay. we we casted the losers mm-hmm. with um, with Marcus with Marcus, yep. even though there was already a movie that had come out. Yeah, that's pretty recent. We were like, yeah, fuck it, we'll just do it again. And so I was looking for something to add to this. I was like, all right, well, we're not going to do an animation thing, so let's let's just throw in one of our comic book things that we do on occasion. And I have been thinking about this lately. The big the big thing now, and this makes this episode, I guess, a little bit more topical on this point than we normally would do. Um, but the whole sort of restructuring of the DC movies and what's mm-hmm. going on and the big announcement that had happened. And I really was surprised and loved the world that Matt Reeves built for his movie, The Batman, um, mm-hmm. which I showed to my son while we were on our cruise a few weeks ago because they showed okay. it in the main lobby. It wasn't even in oh. the theater. It was like in the main lobby. <laughs> Okay. So we we went and watched it. You know, he sat through a three hour movie and he really liked it. Yeah, he really liked it. Good. He he liked the the Riddler. He did not like the Joker. I hate. I'm with him. The Joker is the worst adaptation I've seen of the Joker so far. Now, granted, we only get him for like a minute. I know, but I didn't like it. First of all, I didn't like the fact that he showed up. It was not necessary. I didn't need yep. it. Yep, agreed. Secondly, I don't know if this is going to be a hot take. So uh, the oh, I cannot remember the guy's name. It's Barry something. Was the actor who did it? Manilow? No, not Barry Manilow. He was also Barry Sanders. He was also in uh, the Eternals. Oh, that guy! Yeah, I hated it. I, he was my least favorite part of the Eternals. He was also my least, and a lot of people are like praising him for his stuff in both of those things. And I'm like, I hated it. I did no. not like the performances in either case. His Agreed. his his performance in the Eternals, I thought, was so bland. It was. It was. And it was. I did, the character wasn't good, but you're right. Also, the performance I thought was was poor. So, so, uh, me personally, I, I wouldn't care if 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 that Joker never shows. Honestly, I could care if the Joker ever shows up in that thing. I think I'm just a little yeah. Jokered out at the moment. Yeah, but exactly. There's others. There's so many other cool characters there are. to dive into with Batman. And I know that Matt Reeves has has plans for other characters to come into his universe, but everyone so far has been related to the quote unquote Bat family. Mm-hmm. What I would love to see, and I'm I've been, you know, campaigning for to no one because no one's listening to me, uh, <laughs> is to add some other street level DC heroes into this world. I'm all for having the fun, you know, cosmic space stuff mm-hmm. that they're there looks like they're going for, but I there's something nice about a grounded street level hero. Uh, I know we got a, for the most part, a fairly decent show out of Green Arrow uh, on CW. I think it was, I mean, it was one of the ones that built, it was the one that built that whole superhero universe. I mean, they call it the Arrowverse for a reason. Yeah. And I think it did get a little bit silly towards the end, 
Um, but the first few seasons I thought were really solid and I really enjoyed it. And it, it made a fan for me out of a character I otherwise probably wouldn't have cared about. So I want to cast a Green Arrow movie in the Matt Reeves universe. And I, I figure since the Matt Reeves, the Batman, is kind of based on his Batman year one, along with the aspects of like the long Halloween and some other things that are involved there. Mm-hmm. I figured let's shoot for Green Arrow year one, which is a great book. And if you've seen the CW Arrow, you've already seen part of the story because they pulled heavily from this book um, okay. in one of the seasons. I had never read this before. Mm-hmm. So John was like, hey, get on it. And here's some homework. And so I got the book. It wasn't terribly and long. I read- no, it was six issues altogether. Yeah. And I got it as a TPB. And yeah, it was easy to read. And I thought, yeah, I agree. I thought it was a solid Solid little simple read book. Yeah, yeah, it was good and a good and a good kind of origin story for sure. Oliver Queen. So, just for anyone who's never read it, I'll give a brief try to do. I guess spoiler free. There's not really much to spoil really in the book. He becomes Green Arrow. <laughs> Boom! Spoiled. <laughs> uh, he goes on. Uh, he goes out on a boat with his friend. He's a Oliver Queen. He's a billionaire playboy. Something DC likes to do. And he gets betrayed by his trusted bodyguard, whose name is Hackett. And instead of killing him, Hackett just kicks him off the boat, thinking he'll drown. Oliver Queen ends up on this island. They never specifically really say where this island is. I went that it was probably somewhere in the Pacific. It says Jungle Island, so they... I I read it was kind of based-ish near Fiji, kind of. Okay. So that so that Pacific, you know, yeah, yeah that South, South Pacific, Pacific area. Was. Okay, good, because that's kind of that was where I had it in my mind anyway while I was doing my casting. Yeah. So, yep, absolutely. And then he meets this woman who's on the island named Taia, I think, or Tayana, Tayana, Tai, yeah, yeah, Tayana, yeah, Tayana, kind of. And he finds out that there is a drug cartel that basically runs the island, and they use the locals to harvest poppy. For opium, mm-hmm. um, and it's led by a, a woman that goes by the name China White, and she has a, it's China something, I forget. Sure, they have, they give her like an she has an actual full name, but like yeah, the, it's like China Way, China Way, China Way, yeah, something like I think it was Chin, China Way. That sounds right, but China White is like her super mm-hmm. villain name, yeah, and he basically has to fight back against them, uh, has to fight back against his old friends. And in the end, he succeeds, and then he goes back home and decides that he's going to become this hero, which the locals gave him the name Green Arrow mm-hmm. as uh, in their native language, which I tried to look up what it was, but I couldn't find out. And so that's basically that's how, in this story, this is how we get the Green Arrow. And I think it's a, I think it's a pretty solid origin story. Yeah, it was interesting. The only thing that was, I guess, somewhat unbelievable to me was... That okay, he, you kind of just had to go with one line was he had a this uh, famed actor who or a stunt guy who was kind of did all the stunts for Errol Flynn back in the day mm-hmm. uh, as Robin Hood. He helped teach him archery as a kid, and he said, "Yeah, I never, I only did a couple lessons." And he said, "I was a natural." Uh, <laughs> and then after after like a couple months of being marooned on this island, 
he's like the greatest archer in the world. So <laughs> he meant he went from I practiced it a few times. I was told I was a natural to I'm the best ever in two months or whatever it was, right. a couple months. So. I mean, if if bow and arrow is all you have to survive, you will probably get pretty good at it pretty fast if you have to. But that yeah. that times it yeah that much is old. But that's comics for you. <laughs> they ain't got they ain't got comics. time to mess around. You got to get to the point fast. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's really kind of four big characters, and that's really all we're going to cast here. Uh, obviously, yeah. we're going to do um, Oliver Queen, uh, his uh, trusted bodyguard, Hackett, who betrays him, uh, China White, who is the main villain, and Tayana, who is the local who helps him. And this, those are really the only big ones you really need to cast. Unless we wanted to add, like, Henchman 1 and Henchman 2, there's really, yeah, there's no one else. Right. So we'll start with Tayana and Adam. I will let you go first. Oh, actually, before we even sure. do that, did you did you really? I mean, you you kind of gave us your thoughts on the on the book. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought I I thought the art was solid. Um, I thought the writing was solid. Yeah, it, it was a quick quick read. Um, but I, overall, I did like it. Other than like, like I said, I in my head I was like, really. <laughs> greatest fucking arrow person in in a couple months um but besides that yes i, I thought it was an enjoyable read and it was from what 2006 or 2007 or like i believe okay cool yeah it was good cool all right so who did you pick to be your tayana so i did probably exactly what you did uh which was all right let me look for south pacific actresses or you know um, polynesian actresses or things like that uh and then i kind of hunted around to a couple different like specific countries and so i found this actress who is right at the age range she was born in 2001 so she's what 21 right now um almost 22 and i think that i got a young vibe from from tayana okay so she was pregnant but i got a i got a pretty young from this so i think in that early early 20s fit for what i was looking for and she this actress is from indonesia she doesn't have too many credits but she has gotten some acclaim from some of the stuff that she's done recently. Uh, her name is Arawinda Kirana. I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation. I'm going to need you to spell it. Yep. A-R-A-W-I-N-D-A. And then that should pop up. There's not too many Arawindas out there. She looks familiar. Yeah. she. I mean, like I said, seven I'm, credits. Uh, I haven't really seen no? stuff. But okay. she's been getting, from what I saw, um, she won some... International Film Festival Awards for Best Actress for her movie Uni that she's in. Um, but she's got that kind of island Indonesian young look that I exactly would want. Okay. I mean, if she's winning awards, she's got to be doing something right. Yeah. I mean, she... You know, if it's not if it's not a Razzie, then she's definitely doing something right. Even if it's just a smaller thing to win some awards, that's a, that's a pretty big thing. At the Toronto International Film Festival, she won. Oh, that, and that's a pretty big festival, isn't it? It's a huge festival. That's it's, what I it's thought. It's very acclaimed, so... You know, and I don't think you're looking for, you're not getting Dame Judi Dench, you know, level acting for this role. <laughs> you right, need someone, of course. You know, in that kind of younger spot. So, okay, I that's cool. I like that. Um, I did not go so young. Okay, with my Tayana, uh, I actually picked uh, an actress who was born the same year as you were. Okay, that's a that's a great year. I think we're not too old. <laughs> you're not too old for anything at that year. <laughs> no. My thought was that Tayana did need to have some wisdom okay. about her, so I did go slightly older. But I mean, it's pretty in- innocuous as yeah, to I agree. you know, name is not really or age is not really something we need to address in the story. Yeah, um, I 
looked around for different actresses, and I came up with this one who is Filipino, and she's done a bunch of stuff. A lot looks like in English as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think she's a pretty big name in the Philippines. Her name is Angel Loxin, L-O-C-S-I-N. I mean, she looks young though. She looks she looks way younger than I look, and we were born, <laughs> <laughs> and she is older than me by like half a year. Right. Yeah. Now I think she looks great. Yeah, she's got a good bit more credits. Yeah, the generals. She's got yeah a show that she's been on for 183 episodes. Uh, so yeah, she's she's well versed, you know, actress. I think I'm no doubt she could do a great job. Cool. Uh, all right. Uh, China White, the big bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I'll go first. I had a name down. I was like, you know what? I, I think I'd used this actress before, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull her out again because I I, I really want to see her in something this serious. And I initially picked Kelly Hugh. Oh yeah. Until I looked it up and realized she played China White in the Arrowverse series. Oh, that's too funny. So, is, and so I, I didn't know that that character. Oh, you said there was a season that actually was pretty heavily on, based on this. Yes, and okay. they brought that character in, but they changed her up like she was just a, an assassin for hire in that show okay. instead of a cartel leader, which is what she is. And mm-hmm. uh, Andy Diggle and Jocko created the character of China White for that story. So um, I think they kept her on for a while, but she's she's supposed to be the leader of She means she is supposed to be an assassin, but she's the leader of this drug cartel. Yeah. They tr- I think they just tried to make her, you know, a little bit sexier for the TV show as far mm-hmm. as like the character. she's an assassin for hire or something. She was the big bad. Um, and Kelly Hugh was awesome. Um, I didn't particularly, I went back and looked and I, I was like, I remember, I kind of remember the character from watching that season. And I also remember like not liking the white wig that she had on. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, like, just, just dye your hair, please. Just whatever. And so I was like, okay, well, I can't use Kill Hugh. And I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I might just say screw it. But I was like, no, 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 I can't. <sighs> and when it really came down to it, if we're going to sell something like this, we need a big name. Mm. There is no bigger name right now than Michelle Yeoh. Oh, yeah. After sure. winning her Oscar, huge acclaim for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I still haven't seen. It's, it's a different kind of film, but it's interesting. That's for damn sure. And she also... I know she has the gravitas to play what would be in this, you know, Matt Reeves world, a very dark character. Yeah. She's going to have no remorse. And I hate to like always fall back on some of those tried and trues, but they're tried and true for a reason. And I don't think that anyone will be able to do it better than Michelle Yeoh. Yep. I, uh, I can agree with that. I mean, she's fantastic. I didn't pick her, but I think it's a really good call. I didn't, I didn't want to pick her. Not because I, think she's bad but because i think she's she's like the obvious choice and sometimes you just don't want to go with the obvious choice but i did sure Sure. uh so i went with someone uh she's not as as strong honestly as an actress as michelle yo but few are but she has been in a lot of stuff and a lot of things that are kind of comics or action based uh so this actress looks pretty young but she's actually she's older than me i think she's 40 now or cl- yeah, sure, cl- very close to forty, and so I think that you know you'd still be able to pull off being a boss, you know, mm-hmm. of of a of a um, 
drug cartel, but she's right. also probably could do the action stuff because she has been in Sucker Punch. She was in the crappy film Dragon Ball Evolution, but I'm giving her a pass <laughs> on that. She was in the show The Gifted. She voiced it, did a voice in Big Hero 6 and the show. Uh, her name is Jamie Chung, and I think um, she's a very beautiful woman, and I think given that striking bright blonde or bright white hair and a mm-hmm. sexy white dress. I think I'd like to see her also do a little bit more. <laughs> there wasn't much action in the book because she just kind of held a gun at one point, but I think right. I kind of like the assassin route yeah. assassin plus boss is I like that. That's how I, how I'd want to do it as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love Jamie Chung. I've actually, yeah. I, I think I've used her maybe once before a long I, time I ago. Certainly have. She is in Lovecraft country as well. I think fairly recently too. So yes. She, she can do some. So. Yeah, she can do some yeah. cool stuff. And I liked her in Sucker Punch too. That, mm-hmm. That's a that's a movie that I think kind of fell by the wayside. That it was still, you know, I think I think it's a Zack Snyder movie. Yes, I think it was. Yep, yep, back in the day. And so it's got that same sort of visual element that he likes to throw in. Yeah. But there's some some interesting stuff going on in that one. So I like that choice a lot. Okay. I think that's a that's a I think that's a good solid choice. All right. She would do well. Uh, all right. Hack it. The betraying bodyguard. Who did you pick? Yeah, so Hackett uh, definitely I, I felt was a little bit more of a veteran, a little bit older, obviously, than Oliver Queen. It felt like to me, mm-hmm. um, even though they kind of did have a nice, you know, friendship bond. But he was also it can be a turn, be a bad guy, and you know he can be he's a little bit more hardened. Uh, and so I went with somebody who has done a great job, kind of being uh, a little bit more hardened in um, season three of the show that he is currently on uh and he was also a part of a supernatural show if you will for many many <laughs> years uh, i went with jensen ackles as my hackett okay i like yeah. that he's uh definitely shown that he plays a good asshole mm-hmm. in in the boys exactly. <laughs> as much as i'd like i'd love to give jensen ackles more of a uh kind of leading type thing he's kind of getting that with the boys right now so sure I think that's a good choice. I think it's okay. a solid choice. You're going to bring in a lot of fans with that, and he he does play a good asshole, and yep. it worked fine. Cool. That's what I was thinking. I went with an actor who I don't think I've used before, and I don't necessarily like most of the big things that he's known for, <laughs> but he is a solid actor. He's mostly known, I believe, for being in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, but he did have a 11-episode stint on Westworld, and I think I remember actually liking his character. I can't remember exactly which one his character was, but I, like, I remember I remember the face. Mm-hmm. But he's a solid name, and I think he would work. His name is Ben Barnes. I remember him from... He was the Jigsaw, or the bad guy in uh, the Punisher Netflix series. And I loved him Oh, that's him right. That. That's I right. loved him in that, and I think yeah, he's a perfect fit. That's right. That's where I knew him from the most. Okay. Yeah. I was like, had a ne- I knew I looked at that. I was like, I know that face. Yeah, he was really good in that. So I think I'm pretty sure that's the same guy. Dude, yeah, that's that's a, that's a really good call. I actually, yeah, he fit very similar styles uh, in that in that role. So great call. Cool. Uh, all right. Uh, our big one, Oliver Queen, who did you pick? All right. I do what I normally do, and I go look up different, you know, oh, what do some other people cast for this role? And everyone and their mother picked who actually was the first person I thought of. And maybe you chose him, but I, I'm going to try to convince you as to why you should not have chosen him. Is Charlie Hunnam from... I really? Did, I, 
Charlie Hunnam was like everybody's choice. Is it because he kind of looks like an Oliver Queen? I think that's exactly it. <sighs> and he's done okay. some actiony stuff and things like that. But Charlie Hunnam is over 40 years old. He's 42 or 43 or something right now. And not to say, you know, he can't play a little bit younger, but like this is the origin story. This is right. Green Arrow year one. I don't think if you were bringing in like a more veteran Oliver Queen, I think he's a good call. But I don't think he is the right call for this type of of Oliver Queen Green Arrow year one. Mm-hmm. So I went with an actor who actually also has a very similar Oliver Queen look and he has done action, particularly in a show that I know you like, and I'm certain I've used him before, but I don't care because I think he's the right call for this. I went with Alexander Ludwig from Vikings, and he's 30 years old right now, but he can play kind of like the mid-20s, which is what the vibe I was getting from this Oliver Queen. Okay. I like Alexander Ludwig. I liked him in Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, that performance doesn't necessarily translate to me as Oliver Queen, okay. but that doesn't mean anything. I know this is going to sound like a weird thing, but I'm almost concerned that he is too tall. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm pretty sure I, he's really see, tall. <laughs> I, I haven't really seen Vikings. I just know that, you know there's some action in it and things like that. I've just so I don't know the character. I don't know the actor as well as you do. It's it's if you've never seen the show, it is a show worth watching at least the first few seasons. I think it goes okay. off the rails after the main character kind of goes away. Yeah. It says he's 6'2". That's not terrible. Okay. I was about looking at it. I was going to look at it. 6'2 is not bad. Yeah. Not bad. He definitely has a really good look for it. I would be perfectly happy okay. with Alexander Ludwig coming in as my Oliver Queen. Perfectly happy. And he's got that He's got that blonde. I mean, if you're looking at his IMDb thing, he looks like Oliver Queen in that photo. Yeah. Yeah. So I would be totally happy with that. Yeah. I think it's good. Um, I actually went with an actress, or actress, (laughs) Uh, I went with an actor who I don't know too much about. I haven't seen too much of his work, but I've, he's been, he's been acting for a while. He's about 28, so he's about that same age range. Perfect. And he's been doing a whole, uh, kind of a, a bunch of different stuff. He's been acting, his first real big one was the movie Super 8. Okay. Was he one Which, of those kids? That, that I think he was one of those kids. Okay. Because uh, he was so he was twenty eight. So two thousand eleven. He was born in ninety four. So that would have put him as a teenager, roughly, yeah. Yeah. maybe or less than a teenager, somewhere around there. But he's been working steadily ever since. Uh, his name is Gabriel Basso. I remember enjoying Super Eight. I just as you've talked about it a few times. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a good movie. I saw this kid in something. Oh, he's in American Wrestler. Huh, that's a American Wrestler is a movie that uh, uh, the editor and the and the company uh, a company that I used to work for a couple times out in L.A. did, and it's actually a really good movie. I highly recommend it out there. Um, he was in that one. He's not the lead in that one, but he's like a, the friend in that movie. Um, so I've seen him around. Yeah, is a is a and he's got a good look. You're right. He mm-hmm. he also has a very good look for the role. Yeah, and if he uh, he's also got a good little kind of like an athletic build, I think that would fit, or he could build up a little bit if needed. I mean, it's a superhero movie; they're going to get him in shape. Exactly, they're <laughs> going to get him in shape. So I think that's a that's a perfectly solid call as well. Cool. I really liked this story, and mm-hmm. and I really would love to see the Green Arrow come back onto the big screen. I personally would rather see him come into, as I mentioned, to the Matt Reeves mm-hmm. universe because I think 
having him in that darker universe would be more interesting for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need the fanciful thing. You know, I don't need magic and uh, all weird superpowers to show up into this world. I think just <laughs> having, I think they don't need to have one cohesive universe. I think they can have separate universes. And no, I think they're going to try to do that. But I mean, this is just kind of my opinion on the whole thing. Sure. So sure. I'm happy with both castings. I think either one would produce uh, a yeah. really solid uh, dark Green Arrow movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, All right, and that was our casting for Green Arrow Year One. Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. We are joined by patron Ken Johnson as we talk down our Top 10 favorite war movies. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.